Can you explain to them that the NWA was the first organization to ever crown a world heavyweight wrestling champion all the way back in 1905? You explain to them that it's common knowledge that the NWA wants to have the third world heavyweight wrestling championship at the WWE has a world heavyweight champion named Brett the Hitman Hart who defends his title all over the globe. At the WCW world heavyweight champion Hulk Hogan next month will be traveling all over the world to defend his title. Do you then explain to the people that the NWA wants to step up to the plate, wants to compete with the WWE, wants to compete with WCW, and the NWA knows that after a year of politics and diplomacy and lawsuits and threats and boasts and brags and backstabbing among the promoters, that they finally have come together to unify and declare one man the best that wrestling has to offer, the NWA World's Heavyweight Wrestling Champion? Do you sit there and try to analyze how each of the eight men that are involved have different motivations, have different reasons for wanting to be the World's Heavyweight Champion? Whether it be Dean Malenko, who has something to prove to his family, whether it be Too Cold Scorpio, who wants to provide something better for his family, whether it be the franchise Shane Douglas, who wants to prove something to the world, whether it be Chris Benoit, a protege, the dynamite kid, who just wants it for that personal satisfaction of knowing that he's the best wrestler in the world today? Do, do you want to think about Osama Nishimura, who wants to go back to Japan with the world's heavyweight title and achieve the recognition that's only been achieved in New Japan pro wrestling by people like Antonio Inoki and Masa Chono and the great Muda? I mean, you go down the list. How about the Tasmaniac? I mean, here's the guy. If you ever doubted the Tasmaniac's authenticity, I guarantee you step into the ring with him and try to block one of his suplexes. When he gets his hands on you, he will earn your respect. I guarantee you. Is it the mystery man, the wild card drawing that nobody seems to know who this Joker is? Is it going to be 911 whose motivation simply is because I want to control the NWA World's Heavyweight Wrestling Champion? so many things for me to say to you people so little time for me to expostulate on the virtues of the next man to be crowned the nwa world's heavyweight wrestling champion and i'm sitting here and i'm thinking to myself do i call somebody on the phone and ask them their opinion what do i do to convey to you people the importance of this saturday night do i sit here and say hey the public enemy is going to fight the most hardcore tag team that's ever been put together in the history of professional wrestling, Cactus Jack and Terry Funk. Do I sit here and tell you that Terry Funk hates the public enemy so much that he backed out of the NWA World Heavyweight Wrestling title tournament just to get his hands on the public enemy? Terry Funk, who hasn't been the NWA World Heavyweight Champion since February 6, 1977, when he submitted the Harley Race in Toronto to the Indian Deathlock, when he already had two knee surgeries in the previous month. Terry Funk, who's wanted to be the NWA World Heavyweight Wrestling Champion, pulls out of the tournament just to get his hands on the public enemy, which leaves one slot open, and the other seven men are grateful that Funk aren't in it because each man wants to represent professional wrestling going into the future what do i need to tell you people what do you want to know how do i convey to you the importance of this saturday night here's what i have to say this saturday night professional wrestling fans all over the world the hell with you this comes down to me i don't like what wrestling's all about anymore i don't like what the sport has become i don't like the shape that wrestling is in so what do you do when you're in trouble? Huh? Do you sit down? Do you pray? Or do you call someone for help? 
I'm calling someone for help. I'm reaching out to the Messiah of the wrestling world. This Saturday night, I bring to you the savior of professional wrestling. The whole wrestling world will call 911. And welcome to another episode of Beyond Fushido, a special ECW episode of Beyond Bushido. And I am here with EA and our special guest tonight from Music is Life podcast on Rat Salad Review, our friend, our Greek attache, the one and only Lou Mavs. Yes, us. What's going on? Thanks for having me on, guys. Setelo, metelis, setelo, metelis. Five seconds to lay my ass. <laughs> Oh, that's Louis, so good. Of course, is from a great show that is also on the Rat Style Review Network, Music is Life. Uh, Louis has actually made the great venture into video podcasting now, too, on top of audio podcasting. I got to be a guest on uh, a show the other night with Lou talking about the music of ECW, mm-hmm. which got me thinking, you know, I really want to have something special for the end of the year here. Louis has always been a great ECW fan. He was my first friend in high school that I met purely through our love of ECW. Louie, mm-hmm. it's such a pleasure to have you on here. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, this is going to be a great show. Looking forward to it. And uh, the episode that you did with me, Eric, is going to be up very soon. I'm just still editing and uh, trying to make it uh, presentable and trying to cut it down from three and a half hours <laughs> to something more watchable. So When you, when you get you when can't you have get me talk to yeah. ECW. When you get EA on on music and or wrestling, and you get him on this train of thought, it takes an avalanche to get him to derail off that line of thought. And, and uh, I don't know well, how you're able to do two two of his passions, which is music and ECW. How you got him to corral that within three hours is something I will never know. I mean, you must have like the patience of a saint to be dealing with that. That's right, Saint Shithead. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, not is that the day we celebrate for you? So that's the saint that that's the saint you celebrate for your birthday. Okay, that's all right. right. All right. When you say we avalanche, I can't. Birthdays, they they celebrate name days. That, that this is true. We do. When you say avalanche, I can't help but think of the context of wrestling, Mister John Tenta. Rest in peace. Oh. So, um, speaking yes. of John Tenta, I was watching something on that and like listening to people talk about him, and like they're all they'll forget that he was a sumo wrestler. In Japan, yes, they keep, they keep forgetting that he was a not not just a like normal sumo wrestler. He was all the way. I think he got all the way up to Sekewake, which is not really yes, that's really hard. <laughs> it's like no, that's two yes. percent of sumo wrestlers in Japan get to get to that rank. Let alone get to Ozaki and, he, and Yokozuna. He actually he t- he tells this. He used to tell the story when he was alive that. They were actually going to make the exception to let him go seke, but the seniors just refused to let him go seke. And mean that's go the Ozeki? only reason why he didn't get to go seke. Yeah, to go Ozeki, yeah. Yeah, I now, guess, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Now, now, James, Louie, we would be remiss if we don't start the show by talking about uh, the two passings we had in professional wrestling this week. An original hardcore icon a man who was not only a great professional wrestler, former NWA junior heavyweight champion, 
a man who was a monster on the mats in freestyle Greco-Roman folk style wrestling, uh, Danny Hodge, a man so prolific in folk style wrestling, the uh, NCAA championship trophy is actually named after him, the Danny Hodge Award. Um, and a man. It's actually it's, it's actually more the like the Heisman Trophy in football. The Heisman Trophy yeah. in NCAA wrestling is the Hodge Cup is the Hodge Trophy. Yeah, the Hodge Trophy. Um, one of the great men. The guy was 88 years old, still able to crush an apple with one hand. He was a beast among men. I love him so much. I can't do it with one hand, but you guys talk amongst yourselves. I'll be right back. Uh oh, he's gonna get. A, he's going. He, I, I'm afraid of what he's gonna go get, but. Uh, I, I just remember uh, the the videos of that. And, like, he was the protege for uh, – he was JR's favorite wrestler, mm. if that gives anybody. He, if you're Jim Ross's favorite wrestler growing up, you've got to be a pretty bad man to even be considered in that oh, yeah. thing. And oh. uh, to have yeah, – and to have him – I mean, he was also a Golden Gloves champion. Mm-hmm. So not only was he a champion wrestler, he was a champion boxer. I mean, he mm-hmm. could have he would have dominated MMA if he would have came around fifty years after. Oh yeah, well that's one thing you got to remember about a lot of the old school wrestlers was that they were legitimate tough guys. I mean, these were um, guys who you know were workers in the ring and they knew how to work a match. And remember, you're talking about the days where if somebody came up to them and tried to pick a fight with them and said the wrestling was fake, they would beat the shit out of you. <laughs> like these were legitimate tough guys, boxers. You're wrestlers. damn right. All right. I mean, oh, we has apple. You see, I have a real apple here. Is that a gala apple for you, brother? We love you. We miss you. Look at that. It's a perfect. Look at that. Split. I still got the yeah. strength in my hands. I haven't yes. seen a split that There's perfect since Jenna Jameson. Oh, hey yo, <laughs> hey yo! That's what I love about you, Louie. You come off so innocent, and then you say filthy things like that. I learned it by watching you. <laughs> I learned it from watching, it from you, watching you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did say some terrible stuff. You Same did, but thank radio you. Station. You. I want to thank you for making a man out of me. <laughs> <laughs> he made a man out of you. <laughs> so are we allowed to tell stories on here, Louie, that maybe we couldn't tell on uh, Music is Life? Oh, no. I'm not oh, in the... Oh, you're seeing the sinister smile I'm not, already. I'm, I'm not in the business of doxing anybody, and the innocent should be, remain I'm not, innocent. <laughs> I'm just saying. I just want to tell a story... About your brother, who I love so dearly, that's no, 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 not that, no, 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 not, 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 not that story, please. I'm still friends with that person. <laughs> okay, can I just say, oh, Louie, you romantic? I never knew. <laughs> it's the true. greatest response. It's ever. true. <laughs> <laughs> it's First time I meet Louie's brother, he's the best. He goes, the fuck are you guys doing in that radio station? How come you're not fucking some girls in their ass? First words out of his mouth, my first time I meet him, and he's giving us a ride back to Astoria. My brother never said those words. Oh, yes, he did. Yes, he did. (laughs) Well, then I had my headphones on. I was not listening. You were ignoring your brother because you warned me going in. You're like, I'm going to tell you, he's... He's a little over the top sometimes. Yeah. Me <laughs> warning Eric Adams that oh. my brother's over the top. Notice the irony in that. No. The best part oh, was the, then he the then, then the light bulb went off in Lou's head and he went, 
oh my god, I'm putting my brother and you in the same car together. <laughs> he just ignored us for that whole car ride. I cried like a little girl when I went home. Just realizing, yeah, my just god, what have I done? Oh my god, <laughs> like you had to do the flagellation freaking penance in the back, like I shouldn't have done that. I'm so sorry. I'm he was so my friend. Sorry. He was my friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was the best. So yeah, when I took when I accidentally dry snitched out that story to Lou's brother, Lou yeah, he dry reaction never said, You're fucking dead to me. And I hope that your dick falls off the next time you sleep with one of those whores. Well, no, good. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't sleep with anybody, remember? No, you said that to me. Oh, That's I said that to you? you? Said to me. You said, you're dead to me and I hope your dick falls off the next time you sleep with one of those whores. You just did. I'm not saying the name you said, but yes, you did say that. I, I, I was hurt. I was hurt. But, you know, that was a long time ago. So it's all good. Hey, By the way, I brought I got... nudity to that radio station. Remember that, Louie. I was the first person to bring nudity to that radio station. You did. By the way, I got four people watching on my live stream of the show. So uh, we're getting viewers. Yay. 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 <laughs> Eric. Uh, no, unfortunately not. But I still talk with him. He's a dad now. <laughs> I love that guy. He's a good guy. Um, Huttenberg was the best because he would just be watching porn and downloading porn onto the Apple computer that Louis was so pre- uh, the G four that 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 was in the computer room, and Louis yeah. would just like <laughs> hover over it. Nobody was allowed to touch the G four, so Hut would purposely watch his porno on it. And then it was, was the, like it was the production meeting. computer. Yeah, and then you- there was this big meeting, and Huttenberg does the best thing ever. He raises his hand. He says. The amount of pornography that's going on and being viewed in this radio station is just too much for all of us. I start dying of laughter. And everybody else is getting pissed off going, he's the one who does all, who watches all of it. The amount of porn is too damn high. I like that guy. I would have voted for him for mayor of New York. <laughs> it's too damn high. <laughs> exactly. What's that? A baby crying? You know why? Because the, the rent is too damn too high. Damn high. <laughs> <laughs> so, gentlemen, the reason I wanted to open with that. Well, wait, wait, we got, you got one. You got one more. One more tribute. You you uh, forgot to talk. Oh about. yes, of course. Um, unfortunately, also this past week, forty-one years old, which is too fucking young. Uh, we lost one of the best big men to come down the pike in the past fifteen years in this business. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a standout star for companies like Chikara Pro Wrestling. World Wrestling Entertainment and AEW. He's a man who I could have honest to God. And Combat Zone. He's a man who I could have honestly seen uh, becoming a huge star in Japan if given the opportunity. Uh, Brody Lee, uh, Luke Harper, uh, Johnny, uh, Gator, whatever nickname you knew him by, he was one of the best, one of the sweetest guys. He's beloved. uh, Beloved so much. That uh, people have been doing tributes all week, hitting the yeah, yeah, yeahs, and uh, it's Monday. You know what that means, quotes. Uh, fucking great guy. <laughs> Luke Hawks. Cheers to you. Uh, Luke, Luke, uh, Luke Hawks. Uh, Luke Harper. John Luke, Huber. Luke Cheers. Harper. John Huber. Brody, to you, brother. Cheers. And a fellow New York fucking standout at that before we forget to mention that. He is from mm-hmm. upstate New York. Rochester to be exact. But yeah, it's... Yeah, it's just really sad that we lost this guy so young. Mm. Uh, he leaves behind a wife and a kid. But, Two uh, kids. 
AEW is doing a great job. Yeah, AEW is doing a great job uh, helping the family out, and uh, they got to be admired for that. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and also, you know, uh, not not to say, I know they might be doing it for publication, but uh, Mick Foley and CM Punk are also donating their money from Pro Wrestling Tees this month for to his family. Absolutely. So, well, Fo- Mick will always do something like that, and Punk and Brody were friends back in the day. On they were they were running the Indies together, like they would be in IWA Mid South, and Shikara shows together and everything. So I could see Punk doing that. Yeah. I did not. Uh, know. Hats off to both of them for doing that. I did not know Brody was in um, IWA Mid South. Never knew he worked for Ian. He pretty much everybody yeah, did. <laughs> if you worked for Chikara. You made appearances at ROH, you made appearances at JAP, uh, you made appearances at CZW, and you made appearances at IWA Mid-South. And mm-hmm. FIP. Full impact, bro? Like, everybody thinks that, yep. yeah, everybody thinks like that big match between Claudio and Mike Quackenbush with that amazing finish sequence complete with Quack standing pretty much on Claudio's chest and Black backflipping off of him is a Chikara card. It is not. That is an IWF Mid-South Ted Petty Invitational Tournament match. Hmm. Yeah, now, gentlemen, the reason I wanted to start with that promo tonight is because we're talking about the Paul Heyman era of ECW, um, and that promo to me was the most prolific promo that he cut. If you look at the history of ECW, it makes the most sense, and it was actually a preview into what he was actually going to do that night. If you listen very carefully, he talks about how I don't like what wrestling is. I don't like what it's become. I don't like how it's presented, and I want to change it. And that's exactly what Paul Heyman did. Tonight, all three of us are going to talk about and watch our favorite ECW match in ECW history. And so we're going to start this off right. And Lou, since you're our guest of honor, Lou of Music is Life, which was your selection, sir? Well, I gave you five, but the one that I wanted to surprise everyone with that really I thought stuck out as a great match in ECW's history was from uh what was it? as good as it gets 1997 yes i believe it's the month of september it was the main event of tommy dreamer the innovator of violence with beulah mcgillicuddy versus the whole effing show mr monday night rob van dam and his manager bill alfonso aka fonzie i picked this one because I didn't expect a match of this proportion to be as good as it was. The performance that all four athletes gave um, was over the top, and Fonzie bled buckets, which is something we did not expect him to do that. I think he may have cut himself too deep because um, it was a a bloodbath. But like a true uh, performer, he kept going until the match was over. And he completely earned my respect that night. Awesome. So, James, let's start the match now. So this way, Louis can continue to speak as we watch this beautiful match unfold. All righty. Yeah. So now, I've got- now, I don't know if you guys know this or not. Um, actually, when it came to this match, when it took place, Tommy Dreamer went into the match with an actual broken heel. So he couldn't work. And Fonzie, this was supposed to be his last night in the company because he was caught up in the whole mole allegation of trying to bring everybody over to WCW. This is the match that saved Bill Alfonso's career. And you know the crazy thing about that story is that there's multiple stories. You have Todd Gordon, who comes out and says that there was never a mole, and you have the boys 
when they were in WWE with Paul E saying that Todd Gordon was the mole. And, you know, I think, I think Alfonso in a shoot interview said that he wasn't the mole. I mean, it, there's so many sides of the story. It's like, we'll never know the truth. I didn't, I didn't know that Tommy Dreamer was legitimate. Here's the thing. Tommy Dreamer is not a liar. Oh, I believe yeah, that. He, he actually has uh, – his heel is all messed up. He messed up his heel at the Elks Lodge the week before this. And, um, yeah, so he's just working with a messed up heel right now, and that's why they did all this, just to try and get it out of the way. And, mm-hmm. I mean, Tommy's working with a messed up heel. But, no, Tommy, who's not a liar – he's many of things, but he's not a liar – Tommy actually uh, has stated before that Paul Heyman called him and he broke into Todd Gordon's answering machine and he heard messages from Terry Taylor. He heard messages from from, uh, uh, Jeremy Borash, all people who were higher-ups in WCW at the time, and they were talking about it's a great deal. We're going to get everybody in. And Raven confirmed it, actually. So Todd's trying to keep himself looking, you know, really clean for this. But, yeah, Todd was in on it. And I don't blame right. Todd because Paul Lee pretty much took the company away. Mm-hmm. Now, right now, and what as we, we just see oh, here, there's Beulah. Bill Alfonso already done the uh, the old uh, gigger room. Slash. <laughs> yes. No, right here. <laughs> there it is. Uh, oh God! Now Beulah, few uh, few aspirins. <laughs> now Beulah was my absolute favorite um, female uh, talent in uh, ECW. So when I got to see her. You know, in a match like this, I was just like, wow. Now, if you look at Fonzie, like you talk about the crimson mask. I mean, oh, God, that's a mood of scale. And that's from a manager <laughs> oh, who's yeah. a former referee. By the way, viewer discretion advised, this is Oh, bloody. it's only the highlights. It's not the match. <laughs> is, yeah. yeah no, this I just is the highlights. Yeah. this isn't the match because, yeah, because Beulah Heat during this match. And in one of the greatest parts of it, Fonzie actually pins Beulah. And when she kicks out, he looks at the camera. He goes like this, and he goes, "Hey, no more, no more." I remember that. But look at that crowd reaction. That was Mm -hmm. one of the rare few times in ECW where a woman actually wrestled, and that crowd reaction proved it. It saved Fonzie's job. But more important than that, there was an actual male versus female match that had uh, crowd participation. It had drama. It had heat. I wish we had the whole match. That's what the network shows. I think because of the blood, they edited it down to the highlights. But I would agree with you, Louie. I think that is an amazing match. Uh, fuck, I wish I could uh, get my laptop working so we could get the whole damn match because I actually kind of know where to find the whole thing. But um, shit. But yeah, no, great choice, Louie. Um, Thank you. That was around the time you got into ECW, wasn't it? Because that was right after the first pay-per-view. Yeah, I'd only gotten into ECW about five months prior with uh, Barely Legal. That was my first ever viewed event from ECW. And I had just gone to a house show at the Elks Lodge in July of 97. So that was two months prior to that event. And uh, Dreamer was my favorite wrestler. And it's like, you know, every time, I mean, it it was so ridiculous. I mean, here I am at 16 years old. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm. Not to the point of idolization, but I'm loving watching this guy in the ring. It's like he made he he reminded me why I became a fan, and it's like he was Sting, 
but like a sting without makeup who just did his arms in the crucifix yelled ecw and it's like that won me over you know he was just such a great you talent see, you and, have yeah and i, I had the pleasure I of love... meeting him on many occasions and he was a gentleman yeah i love the story of you watching barely legal and the story of how you got it if you could just tell everybody the story about how you found out about it and then what happened. No, it's actually a really awesome story, in my opinion. Uh, when he told it, it actually gave me goosebumps. So can you share the story with our viewers and with James? Gladly. But I'm not going to do it in the level that I did it for the show on um, that we just recorded because my, I think my daughter's trying to sleep in the next room. So basically, this is what happened. Yeah, sleeping baby takes priorities. Now, I was 16 years old at the time. And as we all know, what do 16 years old teenagers from Queens with cable love doing? It's watching Scramble Channel 62, Channel 63. <laughs> Channel 62, Channel 63, Channel 62, exactly. Channel 63. You got, you got, no, no. So you got to make sure you night. have like ESPN there on the on the, on the the back real fast. So just in case you hear somebody coming, you hit the back real fast. You're just watching SportsCenter. No, I uh, had VH1 on. Because well, no, they no, were no. Still... We got lucky. Yeah. Oh, sorry. They, they were still showing Michael Bolden, so my mom didn't suspect anything. Or did she? I don't know. Or, or <laughs> did she? But anyways, so, you know, all of a sudden, like, I developed carpal yeah, tunnel in my back. I knew the truth. All right, he's frozen. I'll keep going. Uh, so, you know, all of a sudden, like, I developed carpal tunnel in my thumb. And then what happened was I stopped for a second. Then a promo with this guy, bloody face, doing the crucifix. It was Dreamer. And I hear this voice. And it says, wrestling's biggest underground sensation can't be held back for long. And ECW is proud to present the rudest, the lunest, the crudest, the most extreme action ever. It's action so extreme, it's barely legal. And I'm like, what did I just watch? And how can I watch this? <laughs> yeah, definitely not, not, not trying to broadcast to 16-year-old you know, boys. Definitely not. So my friend um, had the box at the time, the cable box, where you could watch everything and not pay for it. So I asked him if he could uh, record it for me. And he said, sure, what time is it at? I said, oh, it's from 9 to midnight. And he's like, great, it's a reason to stay up on a Sunday night. Sure, no problem. And he gives me the tape the next day and he says, I don't know what I just watched, but that was the greatest thing I ever saw. You're going to love what you saw. And I remember taking the tape home. I watched it twice, once with, once by myself. And then when my, my brother and my dad, my, my, sorry, my dad and my brothers came home from work, we watched it together. And seeing my dad light up when Terry Funk came out, because my dad's three favorite wrestlers were Terry Funk, Dusty Rhodes, and Bruno San Martino. So seeing Terry in the main event, um, you know, and seeing, this look of joy on my dad's face. It was just, you know, it was great to share that with him. But then he was just like, what's with the chairs and the tables? I don't get this. <laughs> Why with all the violence? I'm like, dad, please. You remember, I remember you telling me you watched Freddie Blassie with the pencil stabbing everybody, calling everyone a pencil <laughs> neck geek. It's like, come on. I mean, really, isn't a chair shot to the head less dangerous than a lead pencil in the neck i mean come on i don't i don't know um we're gonna get back to that one because that one might be my match 
of all the headshots to the head. So, uh, yeah, oh, once, I know what uh, you're once, EA, uh, once EA unmutes his mic, uh, we might be able to get him back in here. You can uh, stay muted, uh, Eric. It's okay. Oh, damn. Oh, there it is. There it is. Yeah, he's oh. back. Yeah. Oh, so, is it working now? Yeah, there we go. Yeah, Sorry. now it is. Yeah, so, so, like, I remember, so... When I got into ECW, it was only because, like, I, growing up in Nevada be, and not having cable or anything, I never got to watch ECW because it never got that far out west. Um, but I did remember the first time I did see it because it was like, I think it was either Francine, you know, Francine doing the over the rope, you know, showing her tits out, freaking kiss, and then it was Don Marie. And I'm like, oh, I want to watch this. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, yeah, that's, yeah, okay. I yeah, that 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 worked for a lot of people actually. Um, <laughs> Shocker. I mean, look, the women of ECW, we can't forget them. I mean, you had some of the most prolific women in wrestling history. You had Nancy Sullivan, woman. You had um, Sunny. You had Sunny. You had Francine. Um, you had yeah, Nicole Bass. You had Chastity. You had Dawn Marie, Luna Vachon, which is actually interesting. You bring her up. Because that's going to directly tie into my video that I chose. I did not choose my favorite ECW match. I broke my own rule. Instead, I found the very first episode of ECW I ever saw on television. And I decided to share with you guys the match that hooked me on ECW. Now, the match itself is insane and it's crazy. But the storyline of what continues after the match is where things get interesting, and this is what hooked me on television. So my pick for today, we are going to watch Double Dog Collar Deathmatch, The Pitbulls, with Stevie Richards in their corner, versus The Public Enemy, Flyboy Rocco Rock, God Rest His Soul, Johnny Grunge, God Rest His Soul, Anthony Durante, God Rest His Soul. Fuck, that's depressing to fucking say. Sorry. And God Rest His Soul, Luna. Fucking A. Um, but unfortunately, you know, when you're dealing with all these types of characters and people, you know, these things happen and it fucking sucks and it hurts to say that. But I wanted to share with you guys the imagery at 14 years old that caught my eye and made me go, what the fuck am I? 13 years old, excuse right, me. And going, what talking. am I watching? And uh, so, yeah, like I said, this is a payoff match to a longstanding feud that the public enemy were having with the Pitbulls at the time. This was the final opportunity the Pitbulls had at winning the ECW tag team titles taken on the public enemy. And uh, like I said, this was the first thing I ever saw that was not WWE or WCW wrestling. I'd watched uh, UWF. I had watched world, uh, world-class championship wrestling. I had watched Florida championship wrestling. Cause we used to get that on the Spanish channels. And, um, yeah, so this was all stuff that I absolutely loved. And we have two Jameses, one for the plug and one for the home. What's happening here? Uh, what but, happened uh, was is my, absolutely. Uh, my my wonderful internet browser decided to take a uh, rightful dump on me. So now we're getting yeah. the wonderful buffering. So yeah. yeah. My, the uh, other thing that I love For some reason, Opera just decided to, to take a dump on me. the original ECW graphics that we had. And it's so fucking wonderful to like just see that original old school ECW background with the ring ropes that were just random colors for no fucking reason. Like before they really got their shit together is the easiest way I can put it. And that's what I love about it. So, uh, James, how are we coming along with the uh, video? Is it coming? Oh, yeah. There it is. The there whole crowd go. is doing the uh, 
the oh god, what did you guys what they call that crap? It was the way I don't recall it. Well, they, they came the, out, yeah, because uh, public enemy used to come out to nature, but the song they were coming out to, I need Kamozi Hot Stepper, right. You know, the crazy thing is, though, you look at that, that's an arena of, I think, either 1,200 or 2,000 people, and you don't get that kind of Not reaction. Not even, brother. Not even. You don't get that kind of reaction is, in, like, that's... a WWE arena. No, oh, hey, our no, 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 no. That was the beauty of ECW? Yeah. What was that? The, our, the best was that with ECW, the, the big baby face of the company was the company themselves, ECW. So that helped keep the crowd into everything that they saw in the ring. And but that's what is, I just loved about ECW. So they would really get into it. It is a fact, though, that if they hated you, they booed you out of the building and like cursed the day you were born and your mother for having you. <laughs> oh, the the Dudley oh, Boy yeah. promos when they were getting everybody all worked up. Oh my God, they're so good. They're yeah. so good. You know what, Eric? I mean, that actually brings up a question that yeah. it's funny you know is coming out when the crowd is doing this is true. You know what, Eric? I remember going to the Elks Lodge shows with you, and there was always this one kid in the audience. I think his name was Tristan, and the Dudleys always gave it to him and his mother and his friend. Just a verbal, verbal, like, A-bomb on him and his family and his mother and his friend. What was that all about? Tristan actually went to school with me. He was just a jackass of a human being who wanted to be picked on and pointed out. And so the Dudleys continued to do it every chance they got. Fair enough. Easiest <laughs> okay. way to explain it. Can't explain it any easier than that, James. That was no, you really can't. Yeah. I mean, but, but had it coming. Remember, the ECW fans, <laughs> the ECW fans were a special breed. Like you're looking at these shows back in the front row, you see Sign Guy, you see uh, Straw Hat Man, you see uh, yeah. Raver Jim oh, over there with the dreadlocks. See, there's Sign Guy and Straw Hat Guy. Yeah, where's yeah, Hawaiian, shirt where's guy? Hawaiian shirt yeah. guy? Yeah, yeah, Straw Hat Man is a Hawaiian shirt guy. It's the same guy. Oh, oh no, there's always a guy next to him though with like the white hair and the sunglasses and the mustache. That was Hawaiian shirt guy. Oh yeah, 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 Hawaiian shirt guy. Yeah, Hawaiian shirt guy and Straw Hat guy. It got to a point where one time Straw Hat Man showed up without a straw hat. The fans actually brought a fucking straw hat just for him to wear, and would start <laughs> "Where's your hat?" chants at him. <laughs> and there were fans who would dress up like Straw Hat Man or Faith No More guy. And at the Elks Lodge, we had even crazier ones. We had Ass Man, who was a 600-pound man, who whenever the Dudleys came out, would just drop his pants and show his giant ass to the Dudleys for the entire time they were out wrestling. It was a full moon in the Elks Lodge. We had Andre, which was just uh, this kid who had really big, puffy, curly hair like Andre the Giant and wore no shirt and was all flabby and fat, but he was like six foot three. And so people would be chanting, Andre, Andre, and you see the hair going, and you're like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> We'd get yeah, Vladimir so- and Charlie, of course, uh, Vladimir and Charlie, who went to every show. So, like, so with, like, the Go crowd, ahead. like, what, okay, so what happened to, like, getting the the... Because, like, you can't, you won't see that in shows these days. But, like, back then, you had your regulars. Like, EA, I know you have the, I, I know this is probably not a good question, but how do you get those fans back, the regular fans? We're talking the fans that will, honestly, that, that are going to show up every single day, like at, like at Green Acres. It's got to be somebody who's well and build and for, you know, they have their building that once a month they hit. 
and you you make a product that's well worth it. You kind of make it feel niche, and you make it feel like it's their own, and that's what's going to happen. And as we see here, Todd Gordon declaring this match a double dog collar death match. Oh, God. I, I love it. I can attest to what Eric is saying. They would just randomly throw shit at people. I can attest to what Eric is saying because every time I went to the Elks Lodge, this show was always better than the one before that I saw. There was always something new to look forward to. I mean, I was there the night that Raven made his return when the Dudleys made their farewell. And let me tell you, the energy yeah. in the room was insane, you know? And, uh, I remember one main event I saw was Tommy Dreamer with Rob Van Dam. That was crazy. And then the next time I went back after that, the main event was Jerry Lynn versus RVD. Again, it's like the intensity of the audience just made the match better. Like, I can't say that from any other promotion. I, uh, I'm i going to see which one. Okay, this looks like it's it's him. You're, you're, you, got the, you got the double delay there now. Um yeah, so like for me, I never, I, I never grew up in a territory until I got to Knoxville, and of course, wrestling had already, uh, you know, Smoky Mountain had been long gone by then. Even though I do remember watching like on Channel Forty Three News, uh, one episode of of like whatever Smoky Mountain wrestling was, because like I saw the Headbangers. Like I remember to this yes, day seeing the Headbangers. Yeah, but this was but this was like ninety six. I want to say. So like I don't think Smoky Mountain was yeah, still so around. Yeah, that then. was the end of. No, it was the yes, it was. And ninety six was okay. the last year of Smoky Mountain. Okay, I remember, so like, I, I remember so, yeah, watching that. The very end. Yeah, and like I caught it like on something because forty three didn't get wasn't very strong in Je- uh, Jefferson County, but it was strong as shit. Strong as shit in Knoxville, and that's where they made all their their viewers. Yeah, if you think about it though, uh, not uh, yeah, Memphis. Absolutely. Memphis, ECW, and Smoky Mountain were probably the last three of the territories. And Puerto Rico. And Puerto Rico. And Puerto Rico. Those were the last four places you could go to work, yeah. At mm. that time, the last four territories you could actually work were ECW, Memphis, Puerto Rico, and um, Knoxville. But Cornette shut down first. USWA stuck around until about 98, 99. Mm-hmm. Well, actually a little further than that because – yeah, it was around 98 was when they did the invasion with USWA and ECW and they made those last few houses. Then OSHA stepped in and took away studio wrestling. Did anybody and check out the Zubas pants that guy? Because they changed the form. Yeah. Oh, did anybody check out the Zubas that guy was wearing? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, Zubas, we can't, can't say no. Yeah. Oh. There's only two guys that could pull off wearing Zuba pants, and that was the Road Warriors. Well, they owned it. So. And me. I got my Zubas <laughs> at all time, damn it. Hold on. I've never. Oh, uh, no. Oh, uh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to go and do it. Quick, block him from coming back on. <laughs> oh. All right. All right. You see and, this? And, and, I've already, and I've already you saw one, this, one fanny pack in here. So this is doing one good brothering and, uh, after more good brothering. Oh, no. Look at those Zubas. Official Zubas. <laughs> and. Mike and my fanny pack is right over there, ready for the show next week. But yeah, I mean, yeah. look at this action that we're seeing in here. I mean, this is really nonstop. You know, at this time, wrestling, you didn't see shit like this on TV because this is like you did not. This is right. This is before Nitro. This is before Nitro. Monday Night Raw was all around. So on Superstars and Raw, you would really just see squash matches once in a blue moon. You'd get a solid like. 
like a, a Ric Flair versus a Kurt Henning match. But other than that, it was mainly squash matches and stuff. And then I turned this on, and this is what I'm seeing on my TV. Um, I can't remember the date of this show. James, if you could just actually roll the screen right now. I want you all Hold to on. watch this. And did then I, I just see Dave Murray from yeah. Iron Maiden in the audience? <laughs> Probably did. This is from June 13th, 1995. So this that's what the TV played. Okay. So this was probably later on. So I as we lose of oh. Raw. And then tell me that. Sorry. You know, what would you, you know, and compare it to what you're seeing right here. And it's just amazing. And I well, love this, every second of this. I mean, this was crazy to me. I mean, they're throwing him into the guardrails, into the crowd. You know, this is just, you know, fucking chairs flying everywhere, hitting fans in the fucking head, and the fans are cheering for more. Yeah. You know, like, uh, like you showed, like you showed, uh, like last week for, or like a couple days ago, Slick beating the unholy bejesus out of a kid who like threw shit at him or something. <laughs> like they don't do you that don't fuck shit with no the more. son of Rufus R. Jones. Damn it! <laughs> Here's the funny thing, though. It's like you know, if 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 I saw a wrestler had a chair and they're about to hit their opponent with it, and the chair had the possibility of flying into the audience, especially where I was sitting, I would have ran out of the way. And I would have still felt safer being in an environment like this than in some of the deathmatch cars they have right now. Where you got fluorescent <laughs> light tubes flying everywhere, and there's a possibility yeah. that you know not only gonna, you're going to get cut, you're going to get mercury poisoning. It's like, come on! Like at least this yeah. was controlled, yes. and I would yes, even say absolutely. that there was a that there was a trust between the wrestlers and the workers, or at least it seemed that way. Yeah, it, it, there was a trust between the fans and the workers. But, I mean, look at this. I mean, you got four guys bleeding right now. Well, actually, I don't think Pitbull 1 is bleeding yet. Yeah, Pitbull 1 is not bleeding uh, Oh, yeah, yet. he is. See, you got but four it, guys and, bleeding. And Stevie Richards is not. Yeah, well, and Stevie Richards is not. But look at the freaking mullet Stevie Richards has at the moment. That thing He's, is absolutely oh, fantastic. Yeah, Stevie is tremendous. He's the only guy I know who could have gone away with a Motley Crue tattoo I'm trying- <laughs> in 95. <laughs> yes, he absolutely did. That was like when Johnny Karabi was the lead singer for Motley Crue. For God's sakes, John Karabi was a singer at the time, but that's a Doctor Feelgood era oh, logo on his arm. <laughs> yes. Oh no! Look at this. Watch this oh. shit right here. Look at that! Boom! How fucking awesome was that? That you was. Did not, you did not see like, this in I the main. I was like, Jesus Christ! Yeah. Well, like for me, like you know what I, I remember mean? You didn't watching see them taking risks like this. Yeah, no, like I remember watching um, uh, Nit- like Nitro and seeing the cruiserweights. I never saw wrestling go above the top rope ever, let alone then I see this and yeah. everybody's doing top rope moves, you know, and they're freaking way bigger than the average bear. I'm you know, sure that was not- by design because yeah. you remember the year before, yeah. I think it was the year or two before when Bill Watts was running WCW, the rule was nobody could go over the top rope. It's an automatic disqualification. And of course, what was Paul Lee's intention? To yep. screw over WCW in the worst way possible. Yeah, they had the budget, but did you have this kind of action there? No. No, you didn't. But, and, and like for me, like... No, you absolutely um, didn't. Like... I still remember, like, the. I remember I always get excited because, you know, Ric Flair would always go to the top rope and then they would always, and someone would always grab him. But I still got excited because what was that one time he actually would do something off the top rope? Well, I got to be honest with you. Like, the only guys it was I against remember. Carlito. He finally hit the high cross body. 
The he only Carlito when he did it to Barry Windham and he hit the high crossbody. The two wrestlers I remember growing up, what was one of the top rope were Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and uh, Macho Man Randy Savage. And of course, they had the best match. Yeah. Um, Watch this. Watch this. At oh! <laughs> that five second delay is such a bitch, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Eric. You're my boy, but dude, we're way ahead of you. Most, I am the, I am the most unprofessional piece of shit in the history of podcasts, and I love it. Uh, it's it is it is your je ne sais quoi. Nah, you're no deathmatch, Russell, dude. You're good. You're all right. <laughs> Sorry, this asshole keeps I am calling the me. G Raver of fucking podcasting. You went oh, G Raver. Now, now here we no, go. You did not go top. Oh God. Yes, I did. Yeah, and now we'll I watch can't... what Rocco does here again. They do it a second time, and it's just okay. Like, here we go. Because the first it's time we didn't have enough of the drama. Just by the way, shouts out to that kid with the with the uh, yeah. with the Phoenix Suns uh, shirt on that that Charles Barkley era Phoenix Suns thing when that was the hotness. You got dudes with like sweatpants on and tapered leg jeans. It's like my God, this is ninety five. Oh God, this is pure Philadelphia. Still, come on. You got the dude with dirty pants and freaking Chuck Taylor's on drinking a beer. I mean, you can't tell me you can't find that in Philadelphia to this day. I don't. I I don't go to Philly willingly unless I feel like getting a cheesesteak at Ishka Bibble. I'm sorry, or Tony. You got to remember too. This is when. This is when Philadelphia really the wrestling community just fell on its ass because. For years, they had the best of the NWA cards and the best WWF cards at the Spectrum. And by this point, it had really become a territory that lost everything to commercialized wrestling that it really wasn't ready for. And so when <laughs> ECW came around doing got it. shit like this... And Reptar oh, just made his... Uh... almost got it. Funny story about, about Barb Ortiz... When he wasn't announcing ECW, he was the announcer for the Philadelphia Flyers. Okay. Now, was Frank Talent the uh, Philadelphia Athletic Commissioner at this point, Eric? Yes, but they didn't involve him in the storylines. And uh, they pretty much paid Frank and Whiskey to turn a blind eye to everything that was going on. And damn it, did Frank Talent turn a blind eye? <laughs> Yeah, because this yeah. was this was after the whole power goes out, have Kimono want to lay a freaking strip on the on the on the, on the balcony to freaking. No, sir, this everybody. is before. This, oh, this is, is before, before that. Yeah, that. That was ninety six. Oh, yeah, sorry. This is when Beulah. Yeah, this is Beulah and Raven are still together. Raven had just come into the company, really. And uh, this is the the thing about Frank Talent that was great. I'll never forget my first show in Pennsylvania. He shows up from the commission. He's given us the speech before the show. He goes. I know you're going to bleed. I know it's going to be rough. I know it's going to be violent. That's what the crowd wants. Just do me a favor. Keep it down to under a pint of blood, okay? That's all I ask. Just keep it under a pint. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure the Rotten Brothers did exactly that when they had their Taipei death match. <laughs> the Hepe. No, he was saying Hepe a death pint match. per. Yes. <laughs> a pint Fair per. Enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. 
But no, Frank was cool. And like I said, I mean, look at these guys. They're, it's just nonstop action and brutality and craziness that you would never, ever see. I mean, for God's sakes at this point, and, and this isn't to shit on it because I love this style too, but Brad Armstrong was using a Russian leg sweep as a finish. Yes. Which is always the, that's always the problem with wrestling is like when, and, and I, I don't mean problem like it's, it's, it's problematic to the industry as a whole, but the, the problem is, it's like once something is exposed, like, you know, you realize, well, a leg drop is not that devastating. Neither is a Russian leg sweep. But and when Hulk Hogan does it, it's different. Yeah, right. Put him in a KKK hoodie. Anyways, moving right along. Um, <laughs> But the Stop problem it. And is, there it is right here. Watch, watch this finish and how beautiful it is right here. Pitbull, the problem is once something Pitbull is exposed, you can't Johnny Grunge while Rock a Rock pinned Pitbull Anthony. All right, all right, all right, all right, Lou. Finish your finish your thought there. <laughs> You're in the middle you. of a good one. The problem is it's like once something is exposed in the business, it's like it's hard to go back to that level of believability. You know, and I think that's what's I'm going to drop his name right now, Jim Cornette, because he's like, you know, when it comes to pro wrestling, he's like the most ultra conservative, bring it back to the way that it was type person, even though his political ideology is complete opposite of that. But like, you know, he wants to bring it back to like the, the Memphis days of the 80s or the Smoky Mountain days of the 90s. And you, you just can't. I'm not saying you got to go all G-Raver. I can't believe Eric dropped his name before. But you can't go that route because it's like once it's once it's exposed, you can't just expect people to uh, – wait, did that dude have a kill the queer sign? Yes, he did. Oh, my God. That's, <laughs> that's so cringe. That's, that's Philadelphia in 95. Point being is just like you can't expect people to just dumb down their intelligence because you want it that way. I don't I don't I I, I disagree with you in I only disagree the thing. I don't think it's I, have I don't think it's dumbing disagree. down. I have a disagree with it. You're in the business, so I will well, now, take what out. you now, say and, and James, you have an opinion too, so I'll definitely okay. hear you out. Minoru Suzuki, Minoru Suzuki uses a fucking drop kick running off the ropes as the finish, and it's absolutely believable. Minoru Suzuki uses a sleeper hold as a finish. It's absolutely believable. Uh, Chris Benoit was using a diving headbutt as a finish, and Eddie Guerrero was using a frog splash as a finish, and it was all very believable. It's all dependent on the actual talent to make stuff be believable, credible, and for people to actually go, oh, wow, that's amazing, and believe the finish that they're seeing. So I think what everybody doesn't understand, Jim Cornette's not asking for us to go back to the Memphis days. He just wants there to be believability in the stuff people do in the ring. If you listen to Jim Cornette, he loves uh, the revolt, uh, Dash and uh, the other guy. He revival. loves them to death, and they do high spots. They do dives, and they do everything too. Yeah, the revival. Well, now they're called the revolt. No fear the yeah, and yeah. Um, you know fear they fear. fucking you know they're not that old school, and they still get away with everything that they do. And Jim Cornette absolutely loves it because there's believability to what they do in the ring. Um, there's believability when you see Bray Wyatt in the ring and he's just wrestling. There's believability in the ring when uh, you see 
a bunch of different talents that are in professional wrestling today. Hey, James, can we turn up the volume? Because I want people to hear this crowd reaction right here. This is amazing. Just this whole segment right here. Just watch what happens, guys. DDT! Ah, Joey Saws, my favorite announcer. Now watch how it builds here. You see, they're taking out the public enemy. Setting up for what will surely be a super kick. What else is he good for? Catches Johnny Grimes right in the solar plexus. Down goes Grimes. You mean just one super kick? Yep. And again, at ECW, Stevie's finish was a super kick, and there was believability to it. Well, Rob is also selling it very well. And now here comes the moment I knew I wanted to become a professional wrestler. And Tommy Dreamer knocks him cold. There we go. He's Dreamer and Raven. There it is. Toe to toe. Proof the nail. This the cuff flying. This is pre Gee Pants Dreamer. Yes. Uh, yep. So he's still, still ran. <laughs> what a coward Richard Zicks. And again, Tommy Dreamer's in trouble. And it's not done. One-on-one situation. Raven trying to decimate Dreamer. Nothing more devastating than the sound of a chair shot in the ECW arena. Yes. Eula McGillicuddy up on the ring apron. Beulah Moon. Sorry. He was no doubt enjoying the beating <laughs> that Raven is laying on the fallen dreamer. DDT. Raven spikes dreamer. And no two men in the history of this sport execute that DDT oddly enough. Like Raven and Dreamer, they've perfected it. The similarities between these two are almost eerie. Dreamer battles back. And referee Bill Alfonso is not here to stop Dreamer from throwing those cement-like white hands. You know what? I take back my comment. Oh, oh hello. Luna Vellon. Steve Richards. And there's Luna. Richards runs for his life. He's like a kid watching this again, man. It's great. (laughs) She would tear him limb from limb. uh, Luna would tear most men limb by limb. (laughs) And he's going to DDT Beulah. Luna says no. She wants the pile driver. We've seen that before, too. But funny, the fans never seem to tire of it. Dreamers got Beulah. Now listen to this crowd reaction. 
was the moment I knew I wanted to become a professional wrestler. I saw Tommy Dreamer. I was a kid with short, dark hair from New York City, just like Tommy Dreamer. I used to wear black t-shirts. Fucking, and I was like, I want to be that guy right there. And mm, that just minus is the bicycle shorts. Professional. That's when I decided. No, those were, that was a singlet. And coincidentally enough, when I first started training to wrestle, and even when I was on the wrestling team in high school, until it was time for me to wrestle, I would wear my ECW shirt with my fucking singlet <laughs> until it was time to hit the mats. Oh, mercy. Oh, my I even taped up my hands. I even taped up my hands to oh, wrestle. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Okay, you know what? I take back I what I said. Pri- oh. Sorry. What was, that? what was that, Lou? I take back what I said prior about the believability. You're right. It is all in the execution. It definitely is in all, all in the execution of the talent that's in the ring, and if they make you believe it. What I was what I was referencing was the fact that Philly fans, especially at the time, and even like some of the fans at the Elks Lodge, if you did something that um, came off as inauthentic, wasn't up to snuff, right? They would take notice of it, and they would definitely voice how they felt about it. I remember it was Cyber Slam 96 and it was uh, Pablo Marquez uh versus uh Spiro uh-huh. Greco. That was the one and yes. only time Spiro Greco ever wrestled in ECW and I think he was a student of the Malenkos. And let me just tell you his execution yes, of basic moves um I I would have been embarrassed. He was sheathed, exactly. Well, here's the funny thing. But do you know who Sam Greco, uh, who Spiro Greco was? He's He was a K-1 kickboxer, Sam Greco. Yeah. That's exactly who Spiro Greco became. He became an MMA uh, kickboxing monster. But, yeah, I bet you were very disappointed with that Spiro Greco not working out, huh, Louis? I, w- I was just like... Whatever happened to him, and now I know. <laughs> Thank you. He, he, he was no Louis Papadopoulos. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he was no Louis Papadopoulos. He was no Spiros Arion. Of course, he was no Spiros Arion. Fucking Spiros Arion. Going to take Bruno's neck and going God. to break it. <laughs> Sorry, like, no, Louis, remember, remember uh, Lou, that uh, Louis, Louis, Louis Papadopoulos was one of the guys in Pink Race. So he was the Greek, he was the Greek Australian man that we huh. saw. Yes. Does he believe in Jesus Christ? Of course he does. He is not. He is not Christino. He is pure, proper Greek boy. <laughs> you know what? You guys talk for a second. I'm going to find the uh, closing segment for tonight, just because. Oh, I think- good mercy! Well, we still got to pick James's match. We do, which I can start talking about because you know now that the, the, the now that the interruption is gone. You mean the five second uh, delay? Yes, the five the, the five the five seconds VA delay. Um, well, to, to go back to that, what you were talking about was my opinion was it's not that what Cornette wants to do with the Russian leg sweep. And yeah, he, I think he understands that. Hey, you can't have a Russian leg sweep as a freaking finisher. Okay. Right. Great. 
but make finishers be finishers. Mm-hmm. And it always goes back to, and, and, and I know EA hates when I bash them re- mercilessly, but the fucking young bucks have 18 different finishers in their, in their move set. Mm-hmm. The Melter driver can be a finisher. Mm-hmm. Not, not a, not a midway piece. Mm-hmm. More bang for your buck could be one. That could not be a finishing piece. You know, they've got the suit, the 18 million super kicks in there. When, you know, one, uh, one super kick, maybe two super kicks, maybe three super kicks, but 15. Okay. Let's, let's, all right. Let's, let's cut yeah, that I, mean, out. I don't even think Shawn Michaels did that many in a match. No, he didn't. That was the point. Um, and that's where I get the issue with it is that they, they, they do these big moves and then they do nothing with it. And then they're like, well, that was cool. Mm-hmm. Now what? Like, you know, private, the the biggest one I see right now is private party have an awesome move where the one dude does a hurricane Rana into the, into a freaking diamond cutter. They should be laying people out. Nobody should be kicking out of that thing for years. I agree. And I, I definitely feel like there's too many false finishes and too many uses of finishers. Um, especially nowadays it's 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 become incredibly prevalent in the art form and you know those are things i could do without yeah i mean everybody everybody can do cool moves now now granted i'm about to say that and be a complete and total hypocrite because i'm gonna start leading into my match as i'm starting to get a bunch of uh, things so i picked my absolute most memorable ecw match um and, and it's probably the two people that uh, i was thoroughly i was like so excited when he came to wcw but then turned into it turned into the absolute shit show of wcw in the late 90s early 2000s of mike awesome i Uh, fucking loved mike awesome more than anything in the world and i know i know he's supposed to be a bad guy and everyone was telling him to go f himself and and all those wonderful things but I always saw like, holy shit, this dude is huge and he's doing a bunch of big man moves. My first, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, my first exposure to him was an FMW main event. It was him, Cactus Jack, and Terry Funk versus Onita. Uh, I want to say Ganosuke. And, uh, oh man, I forgot. It was one other guy. Eric might remember it. Eric, do you know the match I'm talking about? Which match you're talking about? FMW, it was it was uh, Gladiator Mike Austin, Terry Funk, and Cactus Jack versus Onita with uh, Ganosuke and I think Masato Tanaka. Masato it was Tanaka. Masato Tanaka. Okay, thank you. So speaking beautiful in it going into this because guess what match I have? <laughs> Which match do you have for us, James? Onita sure. versus Cactus Jack. No, just kidding. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be Terry Funk Cactus Jack from uh, you know uh, from Texas, you know, seventy two. Yeah. Uh, no, I it's, it's barbed wire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, bar- Yeah, it's the definitely FMW. You know, exploding barbed wire death match of Onita and uh, I forget who else. Um, no, Actually, Onita made one appearance in ECW. He made he one did. appearance. However, <laughs> it was the best because he. Yes, tell us yeah. about your match. So yeah, you can bring that one back up, but I, I chose Masato Tanaka versus Mike Awesome, Heat Wave '98. I got the I was the only I was the only idiot who did the freaking pay per view matches. Thanks guys, 
You guys are using hardcore TV and shit. I'm actually using the fucking pay-per-view. Like, well, I was going to... It's was, a great was, match! It is a great match. I was originally going to pick Born to be Wired main event, but I wasn't sure how much we could get away with. <laughs> I don't everything. care. The, <laughs> we can get away with everything. I mean, they're probably going to ban this one. Who cares? I'm having Listen, fun. We're not making. We're not getting paid. We're not making money off these episodes. Okay, Lou. We do this as a passion project. As long I as you're not making money, they kind of leave you alone. No, no. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm, I'm just going to get to it. Which I love that freaking. He uses the gladiator music from FMW coming out to this shit. If you hear it, would you look at this monster? It's like ninety. It's like eighty. No, you're wrong. That's that's WWE oh. stock music. Correct. Oh, is that WWE no, stock music? Not. Okay. That is Awesome Bomb. No, it's not. That is the song Awesome Bomb that was written by Harry Slash for Mike Awesome. Oh. He originally was coming out to the zoo by uh he was at that pay-per-view, he came out to the zoo, re-recorded Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden oh. singing. And, and uh yeah, the Scorpion song, The Zoo, but with Bruce Dickinson singing. And they couldn't use that for the pay-per-view. So when they redubbed it, they used the actual Mike Awesome Awesome Bomb song that Harry Slash uh, wrote. So that's what I you're will... hearing there. Oh God! After workout say... ramp is killing me. Fuck! I'll say this: Dickinson uh, did a great cover of that song. Yes. And at that point, he had Adrian Smith back in the band with him. So the... why is he calculating himself? <laughs> and EA has given birth. <laughs> to what? I don't know yet, but he gave birth to something there. Eric, drink more water, no. buddy. Yeah. No, it was an abdominal cramp from working out today. Oh. Uh, but look at Masato Tanaka. Like it was like like size wise, not the most impressive, but look at all the fucking scars. Jesus Masato Tanaka is twenty three years old at this moment. Do you know that? And he looks 40. <laughs> yes. He's still wrestling, though, and he's in the best yes. shape of his life nowadays. He looks freaking amazing oh, nowadays. he killed himself to get in this shape. He killed himself to get in shape like that, to go back into New Japan. He had a hell of a run in New Japan, and I think now he's in Noah. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it Noah or All Japan he's in right now? I think he's in All Japan. I don't think he's in I Noah. I think he may have... Yeah, I think he, yeah he went over to All Japan now, but he did do a run in Noah, and then now he just switched over to All Japan because he was an FMW kid. Like he he trained in the FMW dojo with uh, Atsushi Onita and uh, Hayabusa and Ganasuke, and he was he was their bread and butter. That's why they sent him on uh, expedition to ECW because they were they put their chips on him and Hayabusa and uh, Jado and Gato who had left New Japan, actually, for FMW, which at that, that time, people switching promotions was really unheard of. It's still unheard of. It's but still considered yeah, we're gonna heresy. S- yeah, we're going to see yeah, some yeah, violence. It really there. is. Yeah, it's still considered Look heresy. I mean, they still they the still talk about... Yeah. Oh, yeah, the agility of that is amazing. I mean, they still talk about... Uh, oh, God. Uh, Shib- uh, Shibata freaking going to all Japan. They still talk about that to yeah. this day. Noah, you mean when he went to Noah? He went to Noah. Excuse me. Yeah, when he went to Noah from from New Japan, they still talk about that. One of the most interesting see- things. I'm sorry, Eric. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say one of the most interesting stories. Um, there was a shoot interview that Bruno did 
where he was talking about his relationship with Giant Baba and uh, All Japan. Yeah. And I think at the time, Inoki uh-huh. had just started New Japan, and San Martino said he wouldn't ever work for Inoki out of loyalty to Baba and All Japan, uh-huh. which yeah. is a trait you never hear about anymore in wrestling. Yeah. Loyalty kind of went the way. Well, if you notice, well, here was the thing. If you notice WWE never did business with new Japan, they always stayed loyal to all Japan. Mm -hmm. The only reason all uh, new Japan got the WWF junior heavyweight title is because tiger mass Sayama was the last champion. And so when Sayama went back to new Japan, that's how they created the J crown. That's the only reason they got that belt. WWE was still sending uh, the Blackjacks and teams like that over to All Japan in the late 90s mm-hmm. to do tours. And, uh, and his head stuck in the so, yeah. And there's Mike Austin with his head stuck in the fucking guardrail from diving over the top rope. You guys all right, don't the understand how monstrous of a human Mike Austin was. Mike Austin was a legit six foot seven, 285-pound solid muscle monster. Yeah, he was built he, like a fucking refrigerator, and he just climbs and jumps and leaps and does all this shit that a guy his size shouldn't be able to do, and he did it with ease. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what made me like uh, this is this is what like made me like watch ECW is watching Mike Osby like holy shit like I've never seen a guy that size. Mm-hmm. Doing that stuff because I mean yeah I mean I was watching it, WCW and freaking WWE because that's all I could watch mostly WCW because WWE was on USA and I didn't have the rich ass rich ass parents. Oh. Do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that oh. Was hey. yeah. <laughs> now the thing about Mike Austin though, and like the thing yeah, about we're gonna have to delay five seconds. Sorry. The thing about Mike Austin, though, was that I love them in FMW. I love them in ECW. I was happy for him that he made the WCW because I was just like, all right, good. Now the guy's going to get a real payday for doing what he loves on a national level and probably not to kill himself. And then when they just put him in that horrible, that 70s guy or the 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 fat chick thriller, is that what he, they call them? Fat chick thriller, yeah. I was yeah. just like, why, why? Why did they do that to him? I mean, that was just, oh, look at this. You want me to tell you why? Hold on, hold on. Let me tell you why they did. Don't spoil it. Here comes the running start. Beautiful. (laughs) All right, that was was good timing for a five second delay. Go ahead, Eric. Yeah, I timed it ahead. But um, Mike Awesome came up with both those characters because what a lot of people don't know is Mike Awesome was one of the funniest motherfuckers you'll ever meet in your, your life. I'm at Sports Fest, and Mike is just hanging out because it's his comeback to the company. Uh, he did the arena show that, that weekend, and he actually blew out both his ACLs. And uh, but like we're hanging out, like I'm I'm in the bathroom, and all of a sudden he follow. He's in the bathroom too, and he goes into one of the uh, toilets to take a piss. He's like, "Oh shit, there's a beer in here." Well, wait a minute, it might be piss. Hey, does anybody know if this if this bottle right here is beer or piss? Like just. F- <laughs> fucking with him. Like, Mike was just a genuinely funny guy, and he was never allowed to show, like, just, like, how funny he really fucking was, and that's why he did those two characters in WCW, because they were his idea. He wanted to do something different. He didn't want to be Awesome Mike Awesome no more, the gladiator. He wanted to have fun, because, I mean, look at these fucking matches that him and Masato have. I mean, they're fucking killing each other. Just fuck it. Now, now watch this. 
Yeah. God damn oh. We just did. Yeah, the the the, okay. the, the Phantom Menace freaking musical freaking chair battle and then into into the pure here comes CTE, you know, going on. And oh, oh look, he dumps the guy the crowd and the crowd is just like, get the hell out of the way. I don't want to catch this sweaty guy. No, they okay. catch him. No, they caught him. All right, they so caught Eric, him and they tried it? the crowd surf him. What was it about those gimmicks that didn't work then? What do you think it was? It was WCW. You're having Mike Wilson wrestle fucking the insane clown posse, and you have him fucking, you know, they were just doing... I thought they worked. I mean, he was on TV every week. He was making really good money. Now watch the springboard. Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. Yeah. Christ. That's six foot seven. That is a six foot seven big, big boy doing a fucking springboard into the fourth row. Was that was that was that light was that was that light beers freaking right there? <laughs> Probably. And there was such great simpatico between him and Tanaka. Now let me ask you: Was there a language barrier between the two of them? Um, honestly, they had worked so much together in FMW and in ECW by this point. Um, they were they were road buddies. They hung out together. If there was a language barrier, it was destroyed by their friendship a very long time ago, is the truth. Mm. Because, and, and, you know, and, just, oh, God. Ugh. Planted him. God, that freaking awesome bomb was so cool. Like, that, that uh, everything that he did, I, that, he was one of, like, the first guys that I was, like, super, like, oh, shit. You know, when you see him do those freaking power bombs and everything, you know. Like I had seen yeah. Kevin Nash do it. Oh, then the Alabama slammed. Oh God! <laughs> look how quick he gets to the top rope right here. Just look how quick he fucking moves for a guy his size. Look at this. Ta yeah. ta ta. Perfect balance, I... standing straight up. Oh. <laughs> with that, the exception had... of with the exception of Taker, Awesome was my favorite big guy in wrestling. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, so I... underrated, Mike Awesome. Mm-hmm. He was, and, and so like and that's what made like I wanted to do the one where they uh, did ECW One Night Stand. Also, uh, yep. but I just I could I couldn't get over the the whole uh, Joey Styles tossing so much. Oh. oh, and here we go. Here comes CTE. Oh, fuck me. Ugh. This is the most uncomfortable ah. part of the match. I and have. I have a hard time watching that match too because Joey Styles literally said the words, "I hope he dies." Yeah, I can't watch it because of that. Yeah. It's just, ugh. it's disgusting. Ah. Yeah, and he's like, he's just saying like the this this like I I I I I hope it's I really hoped it was it was not a not a, a shoot because like God, he said some really rough shit. Oh yeah. Well, you have to really remember, you have shit. to remember. Listen to me, Mike fucked the company. He was the champion and he left with the belt to go to WCW and didn't tell nobody. Ugh. <sighs> Fuck me. Ugh. And yeah, but so that's still no reason to wish was... death on someone. No, and I, okay, I agree, but you have to remember the company, you have to remember the era, you have to remember Joey Styles' wit. I don't think he genuinely wished death on Mike Awesome. He was just trying to expound upon the fact that Mike Awesome was the most behated person in ECW history. And then by the end of the match, you, you see that Mike Awesome, the story that's told is Mike Awesome gaining his respect back from the ECW fans. That was the first time I ever heard the words, this is awesome, ah! chanted during a match. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, and the only part that makes me uncomfortable in this match is the is all the unprotected headshots. <laughs> Chairs. The CTE. Would just put his, he would just he because here's the thing: he wouldn't put the hand up. He would just put the shoulders up and accept. Guys, it's yeah. okay. Tanaka was okay. He he fixed his knee pad. He was fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, oh that the 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 just the thuds and everything in this match. Just these two guys freaking just beating the unholy fucking hell out of each other. Yeah. Now now watch Mike Awesome and, here. Yeah, and then here comes this fun part. Watch Mike Awesome's fucking head. Watch his fucking head. Watch his fucking head. Oh, oh. Fuck ECW. ECW. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. ECW. Don't get the freaking. Don't get. Don't get the doctor. Don't get the freaking institute on the line. Don't do the don't X, play. John Finnegan. Don't do the X. By, by the way, big big shout out to John Finnegan for keeping such a great sale on his face. I mean, just his facial. That, that's not a sell. That's not a sell, brother. Did you see Mike Awesome land head first through the table on the concrete? Yeah. That's not a yes. sell. <laughs> the, the, the table doing little to nothing to stop that fall. You could have <laughs> fooled me. <laughs> and then Masada like, no, 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 he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. I'll go get him. <laughs> Literally, they okay? him up by the fucking bullet. Like, come on. We got to finish this. <laughs> what day is it? Hamburger. <laughs> and I watch Mike too. Kicks the fuck out. If Mike would have stayed down, nobody would have fucking bitched. I promise. Yeah, you. nobody would have. But nope. Here you go. <laughs> and, spe- and speaking of something that is, that is definitely you know uh, something that that is okay to do. Freaking still the rolling elbow. Oh yeah, I love the rolling elbow. I still use it from time to time. Bah, there it is, the rolling elbow, which was now called me, the roaring elbow back then. Now, how many death matches would you say that Tanaka had been up to this point to have that many scars and that deep on his body? Um, fuck, I mean, the FMW, I mean, this is, is actually the early death match here, so I would say this is only like, by this point, he had done like maybe three or four only. It was just, he went really hard in those matches. I can Ugh. tell. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Sabu, did, Sabu got all those scars on his body, body from doing five death matches on his first Japanese tour. So, I mean, because you got to remember, it's Japan, so they're not clipping the bob wire. They're not fucking doing anything. You just right. accept what's happening, you know, and, and that's yeah. why that happened. And, I mean, you know, yeah. Sab- Sabu is the only guy that could have gotten away with that because this is the guy that was crazy enough to crazy glue his freaking bicep together when it was op- when it was torn open. Yep, because he knew that he read in a book that in World War II, well, uh, what they would do is whenever somebody when they whenever somebody got shot or stabbed or cut or something like that, they would super glue. They'd use crazy glue to shut it till they could get him to the mash center to fucking sew him up and shit. And that's what Sabu would do. Hmm. And the match is over, and I fucking Jesus Christ! I I know that one's uncomfortable as all hell, but fuck, is it good? Oh yeah, no, it's amazing to watch because they did it all over the horde. Louis, you were at the Elks Lodge when they did it when fucking awesome launched Masato over the top rope through the table, and Masato's head slid under the fucking guardrail. I was there. I yeah, was there. Yeah, I remember. I was there with you. 
it, I never heard a more deafening scream than that match. I swear to God, I think I told myself that's it from now on. I'm bringing earplugs, and this is at an ECW show. Yeah, they they just they they committed to it, and God damn it, they gave it to him. Now, James, I gave you two ECW clips actually because yes, I wanna I wanna show my favorite backstage segment in the history of ECW. Is this Pulp Fiction? Uh, no. No, we can't. Are, 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 are you talking about? Are you talking about the locker room one? Yes, I want to okay. show. This was the build up to barely legal, Louis. I'm not sure if you've ever seen this. This was the final segment of the final episode of ECW before barely legal aired. I might have seen it, but I'll definitely watch it again. So what we're about to see here is uh, four weeks earlier there was a promo. Where Terry Funk had lost a match to Brian Lee, so apparently he had lost his opportunity to be in the three-way dance where the winner would face uh, Raven for the ECW title at the pay-per-view uh, the next week. On and so Terry Funk decides he wants to fight Raven right then and there, and Raven refuses to get up and fight Terry Funk and just calls him an old man and it's over. His dreams are dead. Uh, a week yeah. later, Tommy Dreamer gives up his spot in the three-way match to give to Terry Funk so he could chase his dream to become a world heavyweight champion one more time. And the very last segment of the very last episode of Hardcore TV before ECW Barely Legal, we were given this gem right here that we're about to show you. All right, come out of commercial, come out of commercial, go. Go to camera three, camera three, bring in audio and bring in video now. Camera three, go. You're my last. <laughs> Well, you want to talk about my old man, you want to talk about me, you want to say that I uh, am a big crybaby. Let me tell you something. I I am an old bastard, and you can't pull on my heartstrings. And yeah, I love a lot of different things. I love my kids. I love my family. I'm not like you. I love my old man. Let me tell you something. You're... The wimpy little bastard. What'd you say, Father? You're the wimpy little bastard with no kahunas that sits in corners and won't stand up on her damn feet because you just don't have it between the lines. You're not going to goad me into fighting you, Funk. I don't need to fight you. You got to get through a three-way dance to get to me, Funk. You know No, no, Funk. You're not going to get me wild up. You go ahead. You keep on going ahead and cutting in, going ahead and popping off. Tell me what you're going to do. Well, let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you that you are a You're not going to do You're you shot me. You son of a bitch. You shot me. You wanted me for a long time. I'm right here. I'm right here. Don't get out. 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 Get up and fight me now! Get up! This is the best you can do! Get up, this stupid old man! Fight me! This is the best! Come on, get up! Get up! Fight me now! The fucker! Never more, you piece of s***! <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Jumping up and down in my aunt's living room, fucking doing circles, waiting for the November to remember so Terry Funk can finally get in there and fucking get rid. Ah, oh, you mean barely legal? I'm talking about it. You mean barely? You mean oh, barely legal? Not November yeah, to remember. I'm, I'm getting too excited right now. Okay, I, I fuck up words when I get this excited. <laughs> but tell me that is not dynamic television oh, at yeah. its fucking best. That's Two things. Fucking. Oh. Two Fuck. things. Yeah. Number one, Terry Funk knew just what right buttons to push to get you to care about what was going to happen. Oh, absolutely. Second, second thing, I think it's fair <gasps> to say that, that Raven is probably one of the best promos. The psychology that he would use oh, yeah. to get his character over, to get the match over. And he wasn't a high flyer. He wasn't super technical, but he knew everything that he had to do to get you to give a shit. And he was the only real heel in ECW. He he never sold a fucking t his t-shirts never sold. Nobody fucking cheered for him. They all fucking hated his guts in a promotion where the bad guys were the good guys. Raven was hated to such a fucking extreme. And I mean, that just shows you, I mean, what a compliment to someone like Scotty. Yeah. What a fucking compliment. Hold up. Scotty! Scotty! You hear me? You were you were great! Sorry, I was just talking out the window. He lives like four blocks away. I was seeing if he heard me. But, uh... <laughs> no, know, with, with his IQ, away. he probably could. Yes. He's a member of Menza. Uh... I can hear you. Yeah, I heard you talking about me. But, um, <laughs> you know, but no, I mean, seriously, you can't, to me, Scotty was the greatest heel in this business because he knew how to make you care. He understood psychology. I mean, even if you go past his w, his ECW run, look at his WCW run. I mean, you legitimately believed when he was United States champion that the flock was going to involve themselves at Goldberg's streak was going to end. You believed Raven could continually be champion, not on his own merit, but because he had his flock and his cronies and all that shit, and, and just how great he would set up matches and false finishes. I mean, he made... He, br he, he, brings, he brought the best out of everyone he was in the ring, and from Tommy Dreamer to Cactus Jack to the Sandman. I mean, you literally yeah. watch... The matches with him and the Sandman, and Sandman's doing fucking schoolboys, and the crowd's fucking going nuts, thinking that this is it, this is it, this is it, all the way to the final fucking pinfall, barely legal, when fucking Raven goes for the spinning toehold, Terry fucking hooks a one, two, kick out, they can't believe it, he goes for it a second time, Terry hooks him again, one, two, three, and fucking grown men in the most date in the wildest city. 
in the world for professional wrestling at the time. Philadelphia was the wildest at that time. And and there wasn't a fucking dry eye in the house when Terry Funk won it. Mm. I mean, I think, holy shit. Raven I is... Ring, yeah. I, I think ring psychology-wise yeah. and, and promo psychology-wise psychology in a wrestling ring, I think Raven moved... Uh, he was like the next step after uh, Jake the Snake. I think oh, promo wise and everything. He he had that thing where I don't care what the hell, you know, because like Jake the Snake during the his WWF days, you know, you would have like Max Moon come out and then you'd see Jake the Snake. And yeah, yeah. all that other all that other shit was going on. But I believe that dude's gonna fucking kill somebody. Well, the other great thing too, you have to think about this. The Raven character was what Paul E. Dangerously wanted to be if he was a professional wrestler. Yeah. So you had Scott Levy and Paul Heyman, two of the greatest minds in this business, working together to create this fucking singular anomaly at the time in the wrestling business. He was a quiet talker. He wasn't a yeller and screamer. He wasn't a, a comedy act. They, we, he, they, they were able to take this guy who literally every gimmick he had before, he was either a hip-hop dancing baby face or a oh, goofy God. fucking heel. Playboy. And, and they, yeah, Playboy, and then like this goofy heel that fucking managed the Quebecers, and they turned and, and they changed him to a character that everybody believed that Raven was. And I mean, to a certain point, Raven really became like a Jim Morrison-esque figure, you know, in the wrestling business. And I mean, fuck. I, like I said, I think when you talk about ECW... The five most important people in the history of ECW, Terry Funk's number one, because he was there from day one of TV back in 93. Um, you got Tommy Dreamer. You got Sandman. You know, just because his character was completely different, you got Raven. And then, of course, I got to put Shane Douglas on that list because Shane Douglas was the one who brought credibility to the wrestling. So guys like Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit, um, I mean, just a whole lineage of great, talented, technical wrestlers could come in and have great matches. I mean, the Shane Douglas-Ron Simmons matches were great. People were bored by the Terry uh, Tully Blanchard-Shane Douglas match, but if you watch it with 20, 2020 eyes or 2021, since some of you might not see this till next week, you'll see, I mean, just great wrestling. And, of course, you know, Sabu. I mean... If Sabu should be a fucking millionaire three times over. He is the guy who, if it wasn't for him, ECW would have never launched. Mm. It would have never launched. If it wasn't for that Shane Douglas, Terry Funk, Sabu, three-way dance, the night the line was crossed, 60-minute Broadway, where Shane went the whole hour. He's the only one who went the whole hour. But just those three guys and Tommy and Raven... And I mean the Sandman. I mean you can't even make a top five. It's a top six. It really is just more a, like a top ten because you got to bring the Dudleys in there at some point. Oh, too. absolutely, the Dudleys. Um, I mean they. Oh my god. I think, I think I, I think Van Dam. Yeah, and you have Van, to throw Van Dam in there. You have, to, on, yes. have the whole fucking show. Um, but like Raven was like the first time of you know me realizing about different psychologies of like nihilism and stuff like that. Because if you look at Raven's character, <laughs> it's a pro wrestling version of a nihilist. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. That's and the perfect explanation I've ever heard. Two that things. Is the perfect way of yeah. explaining it. Good fucking call, James. Yes. 
two things. One, I have to give credit to New Jack because um, I I, no, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I love watching New Jack wrestle because his promos were entertaining as hell, and his matches definitely um, added to the violence that yeah. ECW was known for. Absolutely. Um, yeah. The biggest the biggest difference between New Jack and a lot of other wrestlers who rely on gimmicks during their matches. New Jack could actually wrestle. Yes, and, he could. Trained then, by Ray Candy. Yes. And also um, trained with the Rock and Roll Express and Tracy Smothers. Yes, so absolutely. He, he knew about how to get something over. And I I, I love him. Get his book. All right. Uh, you guys second, want, you guys, second, you want I'm sorry, a just second, second. Hold on, hold on. Just, I got a new Jack story for you. Oh, okay, boy. It ties right in. So I was talking to Robert over the summer and we were talking about different guys and he brought up New Jack mm-hmm. and the first time he ever met New Jack. So the gangsters come into Smoky Mountain Wrestling and Robert's talking. He's like, yeah, so gangsters are coming in and we're working them that night. And this gay guy comes up and he's t- he, t- he grabs, he slaps New Jack's ass. New Jack's all mad. He's like, oh, this guy, he slapped my ass. I'm not into that. I can't believe he did that. I'm going to stab that son of a bitch. I'm going to kill him. I don't care. That's what I do. And so I calm him down. I'm like, hey, kid, don't worry, champ. We'll go out there. We'll have a damn good match. You won't even remember it happened. So they get out there, and the match starts. Robert locks up with New Jack, says, get me in a headlock. New Jack gets him in a headlock as soon as he does. Robert grabbed him by his ass cheek, grabbed a full ass cheek, and grabbed him. (laughs) And fucking ran New Jack around there. He's like, damn it, Robert, damn it. Shoots him (laughs) off, takes the tackle. New Jack grabs the headlock. And New Jack starts, and New Jack starts dying of laughter. He's like, "Are we over it, kid?" He's like, "Yes, Robert. Yes." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm always here for more hoot stories. Yeah, so go um, ahead now. I'm sorry, sec- I just figured you'd like that story. That is a very funny story. I don't think any less of New Jack. I think more of him because he took it like a champ. Um, yeah. But the the second thing I was going to mention was that you you're right in the sense that what you said about Raven. Um, he wasn't a comedy wrestler. Um, however, we, although I think he could have gotten over on his own, I definitely think having the impetus for the BWO, Stevie Richards and Blue Meanie with him um, oh, yeah. added to why you hated him as much as he did because they were hilarious with their promos, especially Blue Dust. Oh, my God. Or when they you would know? kiss. And. Yeah. And but the one thing that I'll give Raven, he made you root for Stevie Richards, which yeah, at the he time, did, yeah. And, and and again, this is this is me praising Stevie Richards, the fact that he went from the most hated lackey to the underdog, the fact that he was one of the guys who main evented the three way dance at Barely Legal, and it's like you know what, if he doesn't win, so what? We're rooting for him because he made it. Putting well, him with was Raven was genius. Here's the other thing that everybody forgets. Stevie got injured after that when they started doing the uh, Raven, Stevie, Terry Funk rematches when Funk was champion. They did a show in Buffalo. I remember the guardrail uh, on the neck. Terry went to hit Stevie with the guardrail on the back. It accidentally horse-collared across his neck, broke his neck. If that never happened, little known fact, they were planting the seed for the next pay-per-view main event to be Raven, Stevie, and Funk. And Stevie was supposed to win the belt. Mm. And that would have been a whole different career retrospective for Stevie. But yeah, 
like you said, that was the beauty of the BWO, though, because all the goofy stuff Raven wanted, he could do with, with his lackeys, including the Dudley Boys. The Dudley Boys are a complete ripoff of the Hanson twins and from Slapshot. Yep. Yeah, the Hanson. Uh, yeah, 100% the Hanson. And, and, and Raven talks about because like he was uh, putting the tape on and everything like that one day, and he started quoting the movie Slapshot. And that's how they came up with the gimmick for the Dudley boys. Instead of the Hanson brothers, they were the Dudley brothers. Now let and, me ask um, you this yeah. when you're done. No, when you're done, I want to ask you a question. You know, and so, and you got to think with Stevie Richards at that time of the company, Stevie wasn't a muscular guy. He was this tall, lengthy, clumsy, skinny kid from Philadelphia. They all knew him from the area. He worked at, he owned a video game shop in town. So they all knew he was this geeky kid who wore the circle glasses that would wrestle on the weekend and pretend to be this rock and roll guy. And mm-hmm. that is how, and, and I mean, like, I, like you said, that's how they got him over and turned him into the underdog was because that's how good of the booking was and how great Raven and Stevie were with creating and changing the character. Later on, even the same thing for Nova. When Nova went from this pudgy kid pretending to be a fucking superhero to you know the the latter days of ECW, he completely leaned out and changed his look, and and he became a real prospect in pro wrestling. I will always be, uh, and I'll let Lou give give him a <laughs> second here. I'll always be amazed at what ECW made Danny Doring and Roadkill. Not Chicken only an, an act of main like people were excited to see an Amish guy come out there and wrestle. That would just say chickens. That would just yeah. say chickens, yes. And not just an Amish guy, the angry Amish chicken plucking warrior. Yes, yes. exactly. Now, Louie, what um, was your second question? Well, first of all, I also wanted to give a shout-out to Stevie Richards because him, uh, Greek God Papa Don, and Big Sally Graziano also do the Conspiracy Horseman podcast for Hamid Media Group, which is now distributing Ratsal Review Network. So, what's up, guys? The giant um, from the east, Big Sally Graziano. Where's my pizza? No, when he wrestled for Johnny Rods, his name was the Giant from the East. That was Big Sal Graziano's original gimmick. Uh, Let's see, Little Guido was Damian Stone. And uh, Stevie is part of that too, you said? Uh, Stevie and Papadon. No, no, not not Guido. Yeah, Papadon, Guido. Damn it. Guido. Papa Don, <laughs> Sally, and Stevie are three of the Conspiracy Horseman podcast. So, 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 so one of the FBI. That. So the FBI is in with the Conspiracy podcast. Got it. Cool. Yeah, Good to know. know. The Illuminati the is second, real. The second, the second question I was going to ask yeah. was, you mentioned before right now about how the buildup for the next pay-per-view was supposed to be Funk, Raven, and Stevie. Um, Stevie. So Raven and, and Stevie had already deflected to WCW by the time that pay-per-view had already happened, which was Hardcore Heaven 97 at the uh, Fort Lauderdale War Memorial yep. Auditorium. So yep. was them getting Sabu and Funk to wrestle the barbed wire match aboard to be wired, was that by design a way to just take the belt off Funk and give it to someone else? And was it by design the barbed wire match to end barbed wire matches the way that it yes. was? Yes. Hmm. That was all by design, all of it. Um, 
because if you remember, after Barely Legal on TV, they did a couple of shows and then they went back to uh, Mass- they went back to Massachusetts to the Greyhounds to the Greyhound Racetrack in Revere, mm-hmm. and they did a whole big promo where Ravens looking for Stevie, looking for Stevie, and then at the end of it. He's he said you know Stevie's like oh wow we want to you want to go after Sandman and Dreamer again and he start and Raven starts kicking Stevie, and then he says no I need you to end my pain, and like while Stevie's selling and hurt Raven's like end my pain Stevie end my pain, that was supposed to be Raven's curtain call and then Raven was supposed to leave. That was actually the first episode of ECW Hardcore TV I ever taped on VHS. Yeah, <laughs> and that was the setup for that was going to be the start of the story to lead to Hardcore Heaven. Okay, and then Terry Funk was going to lose to Raven, so Raven would get back that win, and then Stevie and Raven would be the last two men standing, and then there was going to be that. But right. unfortunately, wrestling's wrestling, and plans change, and things change, and that's what happened. But I remember that that episode was also the buildup for the next Dreamer feud, or semi-feud, which was him and Louis Spicoli. That was the one where he broke Louis' fingers because Louis kept doing the too sweet. Yep. That was the start of it, that Louis started turning into Dreamer. Well, I and hated was, him, but I loved oh, him. Louis was so great. No, there no, was I mean, a I... match from Sports Fest in Staten Island from... Fuck. What year was the Bailey Legal pay-per-view? 97. So 96, Sports Fest in Staten Island. It was a winter month. I was at that show. There is a Shane Douglas versus Luis Piccoli TV title match that is through the roof great. Actually, yeah, it had to be that year. It was that winter. And it was Luis Piccoli versus Shane Douglas from Sports Fest. And they had this amazing 25-minute TV title match that that was the other thing I loved about ECW. That was an untelevised event. It was a house show, and they still fucking went all out on those house shows like that. You would see stuff like that, and it was, mm-hmm. oh, such a great fucking... It's, it's a classic. It's a hidden gem that I still can't believe hasn't been released unless you get it on our video. All right, so what's the next clip? Well, actually, I think we're going to wrap this one up for this episode. We are at 145. We try and keep it at 130, so we still went over. But damn it, we didn't go over that bad. But uh, Louie, any f- any closing thoughts on ECW you want to give? Let's all give a closing thought on it for, for now. It was the greatest time of my life as a wrestling fan. Um, I'm grateful to all the wrestlers who worked their asses off to make sure that we all got our money's worth. I'm grateful to many of the friends that I made in my life because of ECW, such as yourself, Eric. And as a, um, I, you know, I, I, I'm not, I don't consider myself one who tries to hold a torch for anything, but as far as something that has a special place in my heart, like the music of Eddie Van Halen or even the, um, the Star Wars movies, Mandalorian, um, ECW holds a place in my heart like that. You know, it was it was special for me, and I wish it never ended. But like all things, we move on, and we never forget what it meant to us. And to this day, twenty three years after seeing Barely Legal, it still means as much to me now as it did then, if not more. You know what? I couldn't say it better myself. James, let's take it home. 
All righty, guys. Well, once again, thank you so much for Rat Salad Review. Please go check out Lou's uh, podcast, Music, Music is Life, most definitely. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, once again, please follow us on YouTube, Periscope, uh, Twitch, all those different platforms. And uh, please go to ringthedambell.wordpress.com for uh, EA's wonderful uh, writings of, of his life story of becoming a It returns wrestler. next Wednesday. Next Wednesday, it returns with a very special article titled Timmy, a tribute to my good friend Tim Arson. Tim! Ah, sorry. Yes. Thank you, James. No, Thank you, Eric, for having me. Louie, I love you to <laughs> death. Louie, Louie come back anytime, most definitely. We, we love doing these. Always want you back. I love Thank you to you, death, man. my friend Louie. Thank you so much for coming through. No problem, and Happy New Year, everybody. Happy, happy New, New Year, Year once again. Thank you, guys. This is our first year of doing this. I know we kind of had some crazy stuff go on this year, but uh, 2020 will definitely be a memorable one for me because I got to start this show and do all that stuff. So My New Year's uh, resolution I will go from five seconds of EA to three seconds of EA. We only have a three-second delay next year. That's my I, New Year's resolution. I tell you, I tell you, my co-host, he's so bad, <laughs> he turns five seconds into ten. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. So in closing, we give you the boss with his final speech about ECW. Thank you guys for watching, and take care. And there he is, Bob Ortiz, Bob Ortiz, wait a minute, it's the boss. It is the boss, Paul Heyman. The mad scientist has arrived. What an emotional night this has to be for Paul E. His vision, his life's work, his dream. It's been resurrected. Yes, it has. And Paul Heyman thanking the fans who made it a reality. It's because of the ECW fans that Paul Heyman's dream lives again tonight. Uh, he's breaking down worse than you did, Joey. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul. It was our life, Nick. It was our life, 24-7 for many years. Thank you, Paul.
having needed my heart to thank Todd Gordon for giving me the chance to be creative and to book for you crazy bastards. I have a need to thank that man on the phone and his partner Charlie Brigitte for sitting with us and sitting in a TV studio and building that TV show for you. You are the craziest bastards I've ever met in my life. I love every one of you. Take the high road, Paul. But I have something to say to you. You see, I've waited a long time to say this to you, Eric Bischoff. But in case you don't notice, it's not Paul Heyman with his tail between his legs going to a WC.